Hello and welcome back to the Big C Church podcast. I am very honored to have uh, today's guest on. My guest is um, Reverend Dr. Mr. President Mark Young, the man upstairs in the president's suite at Denver Seminary, my boss's boss's boss or whatever that is. So also known as Mark, uh, Mark Young, president of Denver Seminary. And so um, uh, we are in a series on evangelicalism um, and its many facets and implications and kind of development. And so um, Mark has been president of Denver Seminary. I believe you're in your 14th or 15th year. 15th, yeah, um, finished 14th. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And a long time uh, a, um, in, in theological education for basically um, most of his career with some with pastoral ministry, just long history in the United States and overseas. Uh and um, by just his by the presidency of this institution, his affiliation with others, um, that puts you in circles for a lot of conversations to speak into and and see the landscape of evangelicalism. So that's why I've got Mark here. And Mark, I'm so glad you're willing to be a guest of mine. Thank, thanks, Angie. I, I appreciate, first of all, just getting a chance for us to talk outside of a committee or some other kind right. of official function. Right. Uh, and certainly, I appreciate your willingness to let me interact with you about this uh, very important topic, uh, one that, in my estimation, we probably won't come to a, a, a solid conclusion about the For vagueness sure. of yeah. the term evangelicalism will linger long after our conversation, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the, and that's the point of our you know podcast is challenging conversations. Yeah. Uh, to better the body, not just resolve conversations. So I think there'll probably be others listening who, uh, you know, who will have some of the same questions and probably spur some conversations. So as I, you know, let's just dive right in. As I mentioned to you before we hit record, um, really the two big questions I want to discuss with you, and we'll do one at a time, is what is evangelicalism and who gets to decide? So, So as I ask you, President Mark Young of an evangelical Denver Seminary. What is evangelicalism and all? I mean, there's there's multiple ways to answer that. Yeah, so, sure. how do you answer that in the in the midst of all those nuances and baggage? Okay, well, I'll just dive in with the, like you said, a, a way of thinking about it, and then we can unpack how I got there. Yeah. Uh, in essence, I think evangelicalism in the United States is essentially a populist and revivalist religious movement. Um, I don't think we can we can discuss evangelicalism as we experience it uh, or as we uh, think about it in this in this arena without recognizing that the roots and the essential character of evangelicalism is revivalist. And mm. I say that because at the core I think one thing that almost every evangelical will identify themselves by is their personal testimony of faith, mm. that they've had some type of personal encounter uh, with the living God through his son, Jesus. That understanding of what it means to be Christian, what it means to be evangelical Christian in the United States, I think flows out of the great revivals of the 18th century and into the 19th century. So if there's one thing that binds us all together, uh, it seems to be this idea of a personal religious experience, a conversion experience that identifies me uh, in the death of Christ as one who's forgiven. 
I say populist in the defini definition uh, simply because the movement really doesn't have any type of institutional structure. It mm -hmm. is driven by its members. It's driven by those who claim that identity, driven in the sense of the definition of what it means to be evangelical is oftentimes a collated or a co um, an experiential uh, kind of definition. In other words, I know five people who say they're evangelical. That must be what evangelicalism is, right? Right. So yeah. populist in that there's no nobody who defines it. As you ask the question, who gets to decide? There's no institution that defines the movement. Uh, and so it's sociologically amorphous. Mm -hmm. And uh, some would say because of that, terrifying. Um, but populist, revivalist, those would be the two terms that I would begin with to talk about the um, North American, particularly U.S. iteration yeah. of evangelicalism. Yeah, well, and the, those pieces that you mentioned, I want to kind of dig into each of those because I think uh, they're important. First of all, you said U.S., I mean, North America, in particular U.S., you, but you have traveled and led and ministered and been in context all over the world. What does the rest? What does that term mean elsewhere? You know, I we I sit in this here, right? Yes. So, as opposed to other places. Yeah. So good question. So, you know, we all know um, that the word evangelical or evangelicalism really comes from a German root, which is a, a it flow that flows out of the Greek word for gospel. So, mm -hmm. in the German setting, evangelischer, the German word mm -hmm. for evangelical is essentially every Protestant. So mm -hmm. the church that Luther establishes becomes the state church of Germany is Evangelische. And so mm -hmm. you can see right there that all of a sudden you have a different understanding of the phrase because you have a state church identified as evangelical, if I'm to anglicize mm -hmm. uh, the phrase. Of course, then you have pietist movements and you have Puritans and other types of streams that all then flow into the United States. So we're an amalgamation of an expression of these different streams of continental and UK-based religious um, experience, religious identity. Uh, you know, I think if we were to, to use the term evangelical, for example, in the United States, in the black community, we have mm -hmm. a very different understanding and a very different reaction among many of my friends who are leaders mm -hmm. in the evangelical church. So we should de we should probably delimit the definition even further and say what I described as mm -hmm. revivalist and populist is actually white religious identity in the United States uh, as, as evangelical. Uh, if we were to go to Australia, you have different nuancing there as the way it relates. Typically, however, Evangelicals are free church Protestants. That would be the language mm -hmm. uh, often used in in Europe, meaning not state church Protestants. Yeah. Uh, of course, then you have the the, confu the not the confusion, but the the interesting dynamic of evangelically oriented denominations within state churches. So you have yeah, for the Anglicans, for example, evangelically right? postured yep. uh, Lutherans, Evangelische Kirche in Germany evangelically postured um, Anglicans. So, oh, no wonder it's amorphous, yeah. right? No wonder it's difficult to come up with a definition. And therefore the answer to your second question, who gets to decide, pretty much anybody who wants to gets to yeah. decide what 
evangelical yeah. means and how they're going to understand the term. Yeah, well, so and I'm gonna, let's put a pin in that, the who gets to decide piece, because there do seem to somewhere, some I mean, there are some boundary markers, and we'll come back to that, but the revivalist piece, and so again, I grew up in uh, American uh, white evangelicalism, and so this idea of a uh, you know a personal conversion or this revival kind of thing, I I know no other. So what what else for real? What else is there? Like how would other people understand? You know, it's so embedded into the way I think of Christianity. That's correct. You know, so what would be a different understandings? Um, not necessarily against, but compared to. Sure. So if we were to look at those denominational expressions where children are baptized into the household of faith, they're nurtured in the household of faith. Some would create an experience where they confirm those that baptism, baptized identity or baptismal identity. So there are people who grow up thinking, knowing that they're Christian with vibrant faith. So they don't yeah. need some type of a personal conversion experience. I'd probably just set off all kinds of theological alarm bells there. But they have we can edit. We can edit, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> they, they see themselves, they look back on their lives, and they've always been Christians. They've always yeah. been those who followed Christ. So I'll give you an example. My wife grew up in a very solid evangelical home, very conservative evangelical home, grew up, went through Awana, she doesn't think back and say, I became a Christian X. So in yeah. order to have street cred in evangelicalism, she had to come up with some type of later mm. life experience where her childhood religious identity became meaningful to her. So she thought back to a, a, a camp, a youth camp that she went to. And in order to have the street cred of a conversion story, she pinpoints that experience is when her faith became interesting or she decided to follow Christ as an adult. That's because in our understanding of who we are as evangelicals, we have to have some kind of, if not conversion story, some type of commitment story or in the Southern Baptist world, a rededication to Christ. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. And that is really very, again, that's very much a part of our history. The great revivals, of the uh, colonial era moving on into second and third great awakening they were the single most powerful historical reality to create mm -hmm. our identity uh, as evangelicals and so like you and i we naturally talk about uh, we have a personal relationship with christ mm -hmm. and i guarantee mm -hmm. you there are millions of christians around the world for whom that is a nonsensical phrase yeah. So yeah. the outcome yeah. of this revivalist conversionist, if we want to use that language, um, essence of what it means to be Christian is that we have a very individualistic understanding of our faith. You have to have personal faith, not your parents' faith. You have to yeah. have personal faith. And certainly I agree. We all have to have some faith commitment that we make uh, to Christ. But what happens is through the revivalist emphasis, we end up with what can essentially be a churchless Christianity. Yes. You yeah. get saved at a campaign or someone read the four mm -hmm. spiritual laws to you. 
And so we don't know where church fits into that. Church isn't a mediator of salvation. Church isn't even necessarily, in many people's thinking, a necessary part of Christian growth. Mm -hmm. You got your small group, you got your Bible study, you turn on the, uh, you can access media, you can grow as a Christian. And in almost in some cases, to be frank, when we would share the gospel with people, when I was at university, we would, it was almost as if we were saying your participation, lifelong participation in a church, your identity as a Christian isn't enough. You have to have some type of conversion experience. Sometimes that was true. Sometimes that sowed a lot of confusion. Yeah, I would, yeah, I think I would suggest maybe that voluntarism is another key component of American uh, evangelicalism. Uh, like you said, first and second great awakenings and voluntary societies, the forerunner today's parachurch. I mean, those sprang up during that too. So it's just kind of, you you choose for yourself and that includes your expressions of religion or how you receive spiritual. I mean, like you said, you could be, you could be saved for all these different and have all these other experiences and never set foot in the door of the of a church, yes. as we would say, you know, local congregation. So I think, yeah. and that's a piece of American history, I think, as well, that voluntarism. It is, certainly, individualism, voluntarism. However, we need to be clear that as evangelicalism grows and develops and changes into the 20th century, we have the emergence of a more conservative expression of evangelical faith that we yeah. classify as fundamentalism. And in that expression of evangelical faith, participation in adherence to compliance mm-hmm. with the, the structures of a local church uh, become essential, right? So there are strong yeah. boundaries drawn around who's a true believer, who isn't. And so in fundamentalism, where uh, control is a dominant value, mm-hmm. you create these belief boundaries as well as behavioral and sociological boundaries. And if you step across those, you're out. So there is more of a church-focused identity in the fundamentalist expression of evangelicalism. Yeah. I remember it being a huge aha for me, having grown up in all of mainstream evangelicalism. I mean, I listened to you know, my, or my family, there was insight for living on the radio. I went to Awana. I had all the volunteer, you know, the different pair. I went to campus life. I went to a Christian college. I went to Denver seminary, you know, all these. And so I steeped in this. I did, it was the water. I couldn't see it. It was the water I swam in, you know, and to realize that there were people could be Christian and not evangelical, Mm -hmm. you know, was, uh, it was mind blowing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For, you know, to me for that. Um, well, I think it's also, well, if I may add one more thing. Okay. To, yeah. You know, when we, we typically use um, David Bevington's nomenclature to define evangelical belief, mm-hmm. and essentially the church is absent in that nomenclature, that's not, Bevin- yeah. that's not Bevington's bias. That's what he observes historically. Yeah. And remember, he's writing in the 19th, he's writing about the 19th century expression of evangelicalism. So yeah. this churchless Christianity, personal conversion, these are, I think, are strong markers, which again leads me to think more of a populist, revivalist yeah. movement, um, religious movement as a as a way to think about evangelicalism. 
Yeah. And, you know, as we talk about kind of the idea of gatekeepers, the, the National Association of Evangelicals, or NAE, in its statement of faith, there's nothing about the church. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember when that was developed. The NAE comes into existence, I believe, in the 1950s. And of course, with a lot of organizations, right? Right. That's part of exactly. This. It's where yeah. we're trying to create this separation from what was a sin, well, you know, what was a kind of a, a pugilistic, a fundamentalist posture, mm -hmm. war with the culture. And of course, who steps on the scene but Billy Graham? So what do we have again? Right. This giant revival boost in creating an understanding of what it means to be um, evangelical. I, you know, I, I think Denver Seminary flows out of that. NAE, mm -hmm. I think, comes into existence at that point. But uh, yeah. someone who's listening can provide correct information on that. Uh, yeah. By the way, I need to... Yeah. to uh, make a disclosure here. I am on the board of NAE, so I probably ought to know when it started. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> well, just make sure Dr. Kim doesn't listen to yeah, this first right. part of the interview. Yeah. I'll look yeah. that up. Um, uh, I had a question, but it uh, disappeared. It'll probably come back. I want, you know, um, I want to kind of bridge over to the idea of um, so some sort of gatekeeper kind of thing, like Priscilla, your wife, felt some perceived pressure, mm -hmm. how strong, I don't know, whatever, like to, to have a conversion story. Mm -hmm. So, so, so some way, some people are con controlling whether intentionally or not, how this needs to look. Correct. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there are organizations like the NAE. I mean, uh, people who say you're in or you're out and, you know, whether it's doctrinally or behaviorally or whatever kind of thing. So, uh, and uh, several of my, you know, our, my colleagues, we read the book, The Other Evangelicals by Isaac Sharp over the summer. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It talks, I can't remember the exact subtitle, but it's The Other Evangelicals. And I think it's, uh, let's see, liberals, blacks, feminists, progressives, L, uh, gays or LGBT and the movement that forced them out. Hmm. Quite a title. And it's every chapter. It, it's great. Every chapter talks about those mm -hmm. populations. And, you yeah. know, so starting with 1920s fundamentalist modernist, yeah. you know, controversy, and then to, you know, the Jim Wallace sojourners type thing, and then yeah. the other uh, feminist. Black. So I went to, I got my PhD at a, uh, a um, institution, not Denver Seminary, that cl often claims or its leadership claims to speak for evangelicalism, take sort of a appoint itself a papal role, yeah. you know, so, so what's your thoughts as you, you know, survey the landscape? Like there's, there's these groups and institutions who claim to be a gatekeeper, mm -hmm. can, but, but in the one sense, you know, it can be what anybody else ever says because it's so individual evangelicalism, mm -hmm. but the other side, there are Priscilla feels pressure from someone sure. or from somewhere who's yeah. defining it. So how, what's your thought on that? Right. So we can, we can think about, our religious identities from a theological perspective. And certainly that's where most of us want to land. But I yeah. think we also have to recognize that our faith and our religious identity is also very much a, a socialized identity and a socialized mm -hmm. faith. So there are those who create the boundaries about what it means to remain a part of a, of a particular social grouping. And that means have a testimony. If you have a testimony, you can be a part of this social identity. 
If you abide by these rules, you can have a part of this social identity. If you vote for these candidates, you can have a part of this social identity. Uh, knowing where you did your doctoral work, I can, I can wholeheartedly say that leadership does not speak for me or Correct. identify me uh, at yeah. every level of their um, public yeah. pronouncements and convictions. So yeah. who gets to decide? In some ways, you could say that the groups that we choose to be a part of, the leadership of those groups gets to decide or the group mm. itself gets to decide. So mm -hmm. we're saying we want to be socialized in this particular religious identity, in this particular denomination. And so the leadership of that, either that con congregation or that denomination then gets to decide for us what it means to be evangelical. And you'd say, oh man, no, 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 no. It's all theological. It's just what I believe. And um, I would argue that that would be a very rare, if we're honest, yeah. a very rare or true testimony of Christian faith. So what will happen in, yeah. in many cases is folks will say, well, I don't want to I don't want to be like those who lead this religious group of evangelicals. So I'm going to leave and I'm going to join another religious group of evangelicals. And very often, very often, the reason to do that, uh, the reasons to do that are quite complex. And more often they're not they're not necessarily theological. They have to do with what social class you want to be a part of. They have to do with the kind of religious experience that's created on mm -hmm. a Sunday. They have to do with whether or not that particular group reinforces your deeply held political beliefs or cultural yeah. beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're honest about, I think the socialization process and its power in religious identity, then we could say, as I, I, at the risk of repeating myself, who gets to decide what an evangelical is really determines which group you're choosing to be a part of that that leadership yeah. decides for you yeah yeah well in denver seminary uh you know uh we claim uh you know to to be evangelical and squarely within evangelical tradition and yet there are some evangelicals who would say we are not evangelical because we are not conservative enough yes. and other evangelicals who would say we are not evangelical because we are not progressive enough or open enough on certain things and i think I'm sure you experienced this. Uh, Denver Center being non-denominational, you know, it's even trickier because evangelical denominationalism, and then you bring evangelical non or pan-denominationalism, you know, cross interdenominationalism. Yeah. I I think if we're really honest, Angie, most of the voices who are saying you're not evangelical enough would be voices who think we're not conservative enough. And yep. generally speaking, that would be around two or three hermeneutical questions and yeah. then questions of, in some cases, ethics, but in more, more often than not in politicized ethics. Yeah. So we, the criticism we would receive would be far more frequent. That criticism would come far more frequently from those who think we're not conservative enough than those yeah. who would think that we're uh, too conservative. Now, I will and, and define conservative defined by certain, like you said, political or certain ethical questions generally. Yeah, uh, but I will, I do want to be sure again and say, we're talking about white evangelicalism, right? Yeah, right. And so uh, I'll never forget when we were beginning to uh, think about having a, a teaching site in a large historically black church in the Washington DC area, 
Mm -hmm. Um, We had really productive, very open and honest conversations with the senior pastor there who later became a trustee at the seminary about conservative because our original name was the conservative Baptist theological seminary. The word conservative made him very uncomfortable and the Mm. word evangelical. So Mm -hmm. I want to be, make sure that we recognize that in a lot of historically black churches, the language of evangelical and evangelicalism uh, connotes almost a fearful kind of Mm -hmm. presence or fearsome presence that um, is Um, oftentimes socially conservative and exclusionary or not, if not exclusionary, even segregationist. Yeah. Yeah. So in light of all that, I mean, is, is evangelical even a helpful term? And I, you know, I know we, you've talked to us as staff and faculty at Denver Seminary and your reflection. So I've heard some of that, but, uh, and you've written about it. So is it a helpful term and, or what else would we, you, you great. know, are we getting in our own way? Yeah. You know, you know, I, um, <laughs> I did publish a book uh, that looks at e- theological education and the next evangelicalism, right? So yeah, I would argue that in its current common understanding, uh, in the broader society, it's not a helpful term. So the question is, can we and other historically evangelical institutions, can we redefine ourselves in ways that will make it, again, a truly meaningful term? Now, let me say, every time somebody says, again, we tend to think of an idealized past that Uh that once existed. The term has always been a mixed bag. However, I would say that the the, um, loss of a theological identity, or let's put it this way, the subjugation of a theological identity has been more acute since the mid-90s than Mm -hmm. at any other time in the history of the movement uh, in the United States. And that, of course, has to do with the almost complete submersion of the word and identity evangelical. Mm -hmm. Uh, with uh, conservative Republican politics. Um, Now, there were always, evangelicals were always involved in politics uh, in in many different ways, on both parties, in in bipartisan types of participation. However, since, you could argue since um, the early 80s, but certainly Mm -hmm. since the the mid-90s, that understanding of the phrase in the broader society is almost um, complete. So whenever I interact with people outside the faith or neighbors or others, uh, I don't identify myself, certainly at the beginning, as an evangelical. Mm-hmm. Um, I simply want to talk with them about the, my experience, their religious experience, and right. the importance of my faith in Christ. and whatever else they want to bring into the conversation about who Jesus is. However, in this kind of setting or in other settings of like identified people, I do use the identity of evangelical and don't find it uh, always as problematic. So I don't, I mean, maybe there'll be some who think that's disingenuous to not call yourself evangelical in some settings and call yourself evangelical in others. I guess I would say that if I want to think very carefully about what I, where I want the relationship that I'm engaged is to go 
And if it's toward faith in Christ, oftentimes evangelical is a barrier to those who aren't part of the movement. Yeah, I would, I mean, I would say it's a loaded term. I would agree when people, not that I get this question often, but, you know, are you evangelical or if you're Christian or they assume that evangelical and then you're all these other things that come with it. And I, I just say, what do you mean by that word? That's correct. You know? Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I think we, everybody who's a part of a social group lives with some small measure of self-delusion, right? Right. <laughs> right. That's great. Yeah. Making the group out to be what they, what they want it to be as opposed yeah. uh, to what it actually is. I, I think in, in the case of evangelical, we also have this pretty, pretty severe divide between those of us who are in the academy, those of us who yeah. work in evangelical circles of academia or in mission agencies, and the millions and millions and millions of people who sit in pews of churches that would think of themselves as evangelical. And I, I think yeah. that's that's really the, one of the challenges, Angie. You and I can have this conversation and we can connect and more likely than not, the people who listen to this podcast will be able to connect and relate to what we're saying. But evangelicalism, as it's defined sociologically, is massive. And so when yeah. you talk about the conversations we have, the understandings we develop, I fear, if I'm not certain, that those conversations are not necessarily happening in yes. throughout the breadth of the movement. Or if they are, yeah. they're happening from a different perspective. Uh, yeah. you know, I think it's, it's, <laughs> it's really interesting to me that um, a lot of folks that I interact with uh, in churches or in other settings who are Christian and call themselves or think of themselves as evangelical really are br really bristle at the idea that, that, that they think of that term mostly from a political perspective. Yeah. Um, but yet, in, they, in their own sense of identity, that political, those political positions, particularly Republican uh, partisan positions and conservative social ethics as well, are mm -hmm. so deeply entwined with their own sense of identity that there really is no separation. Yeah, and with the lack of, I mean, like you said, it's a very uh, distributed, there's no central. So who's going to say, hey, we all need to look at this, Correct. you know, if That's we're, right. you know, there's, yeah. Now you're, like you said, you're on the board now of the NAE, the National Association of Evangelicals, mm -hmm. you know, uh, um, you know, pull back the curtain as much as you are able as far as like, where the NAE is viewing, it's the Association of Evangelicals. So like, what are the challenges facing it in in its part of this massive ocean? Well, let me be quick to say that I'm going to my first board meeting in a month. So, Oh, well, okay. I, I'll, I'll record again in another couple months. Yeah. <laughs> but if I pay attention to what the, what the NAE is publishing, the kinds uh -huh. of emphases they're putting forward in conferences and webinars and yep. other media, uh, I would say they're attempting to create a much broader understanding, a healthy, broad understanding of the implications of the gospel, not just in personal salvation, but also in our position, the way we live out our faith in the public square. I am very, very um, positive about what I see uh, the NAE attempting to do. I think Walter Kim is a wonderful leader at this time. So thinking yeah. in terms of how our faith affects the way we review race and 
racism, how, it view, how we view justice, how we view other concerns that the broader society scrambles around and squabbles over while many, many people with evangelical inclinations are in the streets, hands-on, making a difference in people's lives. So if we could make that awareness more a part of the public identity of evangelical and evangelicalism, I think it would be a great step forward. Yeah. What would you say, you know, we've talked about like, there's there's all these pockets, sometimes factions within evangelicalism, all claiming to kind of be the pure, you know, the essence of, of it, you know, and it, it, whatever combination of politics or behaviors or or beliefs and, and, and doctrine. And so uh, many like myself grow up not knowing that they, they believe that we just assume, oh, this is it. This is this is and not even this is evangelicalism. This is Christianity. Yeah. You know, so so how do you how would you help people get onto the balcony or who are feeling like they, they go um, like ex-evangelicals? They 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 go, well, I don't want this brand of evangelical. So I'm I'm calling myself ex-evangelical. Sure. I mean, how do you help people see the water we've been in? That's they've been in. great question. I, I of course, I lived outside the United States for a number of years. And I, I could say with absolute confidence, the more you choose to move toward people who aren't like you, mm. the better you understand yourself. Mm. Uh, the enriching experience of being with those who think differently, act differently, speak differently, identify themselves differently is, uh, in my estimation, a necessary part of what it means to be uh, growing. So... If I were to offer advice, I would say mm -hmm. those who are willing to step outside of those evangelical identities, which have become toxic or negative for them, and intentionally seek others who may have that identity or not, but do share whatever they're hanging on to theologically is a really important step. Um, yeah. I think that we could say, at least I'll just say from my own personal experience, um, I don't hear a lot of folks moving from evangelical into an exvangelical atheistic posture. Some do, but more, I think, are still seeking and recognizing the necessity of a religious life, of, of a spiritual mm -hmm. life. And so um, if they're willing to move into other faith communities with now a sharpened sense of what is meaningful and induces growth, mm -hmm. personal health, and what doesn't, uh, I would I would hope that in those communities they'd be open to say, "Is God still working in a way that can uh, be meaningful for me?" Yeah, but that's a I, I'd say uh, from more, my own experience. I'd say Go ahead. One what? more thing: don't forget Jesus. Yeah, don't forget Jesus. Yes. I mean, the, yeah. the reality is, it's very difficult to find people who are disappointed with Jesus. They're disappointed mm -hmm. with the way their lives may have turned out and feel that somehow Jesus let them down in that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, if I were to have a conversation with someone who was thinking about chucking the whole thing, I think my advice would be don't forget Jesus. Keep going back wow. to those gospels and read them and stay in touch with him uh, yeah. as, as, uh, as he's described in those gospels. 
Yeah, I, I would say, and my because of my experience, that um, uh, you know, stay with Jesus, and also um, uh, these people who not everyone who claims to speak for Jesus yeah. is you know indeed in speaking for Jesus, and so a lot of times my my um, moving moving out of some of those streams was because I was disappointed for those in those people who had claimed to speak for Jesus. And then I came, you know, back just, just to Jesus. And, but that's a scary thing because when your whole system and there's some big strong systems that individuals are in where it feels like they're losing relationships, identity, you know, all sorts of connectedness and, and just like making sense of their world. And so, uh, you know, I've been in enough uh, evangelical institutions that have been, you know, they they're kind of insular or, or everybody else, you know, they're very gated or walled or bounded, you know, and so it can feel like you're in a in a wilderness for a while until you realize that there's whole villages out there that you haven't, you know, you just hadn't been able to reach. It's true. Now, in that list of institutions, Denver Seminary is not one of those, correct? I work here. So, I mean, what does that tell you? So <laughs> at least I, I am through the end of this interview. We'll see how it, no. <laughs> well, I, I mean, if no. we go back to the conversation about what, what would we say and we say, hang on to Jesus, think about this fact. If we were to follow the polling, that's a part of our, seem like every day a new poll comes out, right? Uh, yeah. Jesus isn't the first thing that evangelicals are known for. Right. Jesus is way down the list of things that evangelicals are known for. And I I would consider that a self-inflicted wound. Um, Certainly, certainly when those polls are done and reported on by those who don't understand or have some type of personal religious faith or experience with Christ, they're not going to latch onto that. They're going to look at all these positions that are taken politically and otherwise. However, let's be honest, um, that identity is self-created. We've created that identity. Cannot blame it on the media. We've created it. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it has led to a diminishing of Jesus in Mm -hmm. uh, the sense of who we are. Are are we, we is very broad, is evangelicalism in danger of putting evangelicalism over Jesus? Or other pockets. Certainly yeah. is. Yeah. No so if we put Jesus first, do we even need evangelicalism? Yeah, there are those who... Wouldn't that be just Christianity? You know, it's interesting. Um, I'll, I'm old enough, I can tell stories, right? So right. when we lived in Poland, <laughs> um, Polish free church believers, Christians, couldn't call themselves Christian because in Polish that meant Roman Catholic. And they couldn't call themselves evangelical because that meant Lutheran. Hmm. So they chose two identities. One was follower of Jesus Uh and the other was believer. So Hmm. very comfortably, we would say, he is a believer, right? And that what we knew that phrase meant was someone who had faith in Jesus Christ and was a part of um, typically a free church fellowship. As we saw renewal movements within the Roman Catholic Church, those folks also called themselves believers. So now Hmm. you have believers that spanned traditionally separated religious identities 
of mm. Free Church Protestant and Roman Catholic. And we saw those groups in within um, Lutheranism as well. So this idea of disciple of Christ, follower of Christ, believer mm -hmm. in Christ, mm -hmm. I think it doesn't work as well in our setting, perhaps. Someone would go, well, what does that mean? But that's okay. That's what you want, right? Yeah. If you say yeah. evangelical, then you're saying, okay, I know how you voted. If you say, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I'm someone who truly desires to follow Jesus. Well, that might raise the kind of conversation that you want to have with folks. Yeah. It may also say, okay, thanks. And they turn back to their book and that's the last conversation you have. But something other than a phrase that misidentifies us, yeah. term that misidentifies us is I think what we're looking for when we're interacting with those who haven't yet put their faith in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, last question, what is, and we've talked about um, some of the, you know, weaknesses and, and kind of dark sides of evangelicalism. What is bringing you hope about evangelicalism and or the church? Yeah, thanks. I do think there is a, a there is a, a, a lot of us who across generational lines have basically said, we're tired of this. We mm -hmm. must create something different. We must create a social identity that moves beyond conservative republicanism or, or MAGA republicanism to a compelling, incredible presence of Christ in our communities. And so I see a lot of churches, and particularly those led by younger folks, taking seriously the need to be the presence of Christ, that expression of the kingdom in their local communities, uh, whether that is through having great conversations about personal faith, whether that is engagement, engaging in what are needs within that community, social needs, physical needs, whether that is uh, bringing people together around healing experiences. I see a lot of good movement that direction. Mm. Um, I don't, I'm a child of the 70s, right? So I was a part of a countercultural movement, not that I was mm -hmm. born in the 70s. I, yeah. My faith was brought alive in the 70s. And so uh, we thought we were countercultural. And I think I can say there is in academia, the evangelical academic institutions, as well as in churches, there is that cadre of leaders and adherents and followers who want to strike out and create a different identity. Uh, and that gives me hope. Yeah. Yeah, I as well. Yeah. Mark, thank you so much again for your time, for, for being on my my little downstairs podcast. I appreciate it. And yeah, um, uh, I really do enjoy. I didn't realize what a unique place Denver Seminary was when I was a student until I went away to different institutions. Yeah. Um, yeah and I, you know, I've said that publicly to others before. So, um, yeah, thanks for your perspective on uh, this this movement, this stream, this ocean that we're a part of and for your leadership within it. Really grateful. My pleasure. And, and thank you, Angie, for the good work you're doing here at the seminary and, and beyond in your publishing, public ministry as well. Thanks, Mark. Thank you.